And as usual, every alternate Wednesday, I have Dr. Philip George, consultant psychiatrist and uh, addiction medicine specialist from IMU with us. Good morning, Dr. Philip. Good morning, Shaz. Well, this is uh, really interesting. Now, University of Malaya Center for Addiction Sciences Director, Dr. Rusdi Abdul Rashid, said that social media addiction can lead to depression. Um, it can also be uh, that depression was already present in an individual before the addiction mm-hmm. and uh, that social media is sort of kind of self-medicating the depressed. And he says that, you know, th- those who are depressed turn to social media because they have lost interest in meeting people in real life. It's just easier mm-hmm. to engage people on the screen. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? The truth is not really completely out there yet mm-hmm. because there are some studies that suggest that overuse of social media can lead to depression and uh, depression can also increase people's need for social media use as well. But, you know, they're, they're conflicting studies. But one thing that stands out is that a lot of people who rely on social media or overuse social media have increased depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, poor sleep, and hyperactivity. Mm-hmm. And this is especially more in adolescents, in young adults. Right. So it's it's often a chicken and egg situation. It could be that lonely and depressed people rely on social media and overindulge in it. Mm-hmm. But it could also be that when people overdo the social media bit, they actually develop into, you know, the uh, depression and anxiety. Yeah, because, well. you know, you tend to compare your life with the so-called perfect life you see on screen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah the FOMO, the fear yeah. of missing out, you know. So mm. that's that's a big thing that happens in social media. People start to compare themselves with others. Of course, the other factor is the lack of deep, empathic social interactions. I mean, you can't have that on social media without, you know, <laughs> without face-to-face and non-verbal communication. You mm-hmm. can't actually have empathy and sympathy and everything else that builds a deep social interaction. Yeah, I mean, also, uh, what are your thoughts on the the, the statement I read just now about how those who are depressed turn to social media because they've lost interest in meeting people in real life? Yeah, because, well, with depression, there is often this anhedonia, a lack of pleasure from pleasurable activities and isolation. And so a lot of people, you know, turn into themselves And they want to try and get connected, but, you know, the only way they can feel comfortable doing that is with a screen sometimes. Right. Yeah. So I I think it's important for people to realize that if they're overdoing something, that they are putting themselves at risk, or maybe they need to understand themselves and see where their weaknesses are and address that issue. All right. Now, when we come back, we'll find out that if you find that social media is filling a hole in your life, how do you get out of it? Uh, Dr. Philip answers that next, right after Robbie Williams on Light. On Mind Matters, I have Dr. Philip George uh, with me this morning. Now, we were talking about social media and depression. And uh, Dr. Philip, if we find that social media is filling a hole in our life, how can we get out of it? You see, very often people who are depressed look for something to help their depression get better. And sometimes they can self-medicate. And this is something that we often see as a trigger for drug and alcohol dependence and now even with social media addiction so there's process addictions which are not 
substances that you put in and that changes mm-hmm. your brain. But there are process addictions that things you you do like gambling, like uh, you know social media or pr- online pornography. Mm-hmm. But these things actually need to be treated the same way as other addictions as well. So usually for most addictions, we would recommend a period of complete abstinence. And during this period, it's important to then make lifestyle changes to fill the void where social media used to be. And then eventually, they most people can go back to controlled social media use. So it's important to have that first period and then look at certain rules and regulations that help them to control their social media, like scheduling the social media use. You know, sometimes we leave sites open all the time and that, you know, tends to make us want to go back to that site all, always. Yeah. Uh, we actually close down and you know start focusing on other things and then schedule when we actually get onto social media and fix a time frame on how long we're going to spend on it and it doesn't matter what else is coming on our media feed yeah. we just stop there uh, limit the number of social media networks that we're on as well. I think, you know, the more that you're on, the more likely yeah. that we'll get dependent and used to right. use too much. And here we're talking about, you know, having your Facebook on and then your Instagram, yeah. your Twitter and, and your WhatsApp. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I think the other thing is, you know, don't feel obligated. You don't have to follow everyone, accept everyone. And, you know, people you don't know don't necessarily have to be the, the ones that you follow and, you know, have to comment and give likes or dislikes and stuff like that as well. Right. Okay. Well, you mentioned earlier a digital detox and how it could benefit you, but would that be only taking you away from the addiction for the time being? Well, Dr. Philip answers that next here on Light. This is a light breakfast with Shaz and I've got Dr. Philip George, addiction medicine specialist from IMU and consultant psychiatrist and um, looking at a digital detox for those of us who are addicted to social media. Dr. Mm -hmm. Philip, uh, does it only take us away from our so-called social media addiction just for the time being? Well, actually, that may be the case if we don't put things in place. So with all addictions, actually, the important thing is a lifestyle change. And, you know, typically prevention is better than cure. (laughs) So if we actually instilled it in children, because, you know, every little kid now has a gadget. But if we actually instill that, you know, there's only so much screen time in a day, there's only so much you can do Mm -hmm. and you have to switch off and you have to, you know, do other activities and, you know, then it becomes a pattern. So most people who have become dependent on it or, you know, overindulge in it have to go back to that sort of frame that, you know, they could have done when they were younger. And that means, you know, first digital detox and then make the lifestyle changes that they need to. So usually we would recommend, you know, finding ways to deal with craving because craving becomes really big sometimes Mm -hmm. when we detox and, you know, finding alternatives. Uh, Relaxation techniques is important because anxiety can build up when we're not actually looking at our feeds and, you know, wondering what's happening out there, you know, I'm losing out. So we teach all these techniques and then people start engaging in different things and slowly over time, they learn to bring back social media into their lives with some control. All right. Well, good luck to you if you're trying to detox. I know I'm going to try that <laughs> when I take two days off this week. Oh, good. <laughs> to go yes. on holiday, just be in the moment and not try yeah, to you know, phone wh- all the time. One of the best things in treating addiction is actually getting away from where you're at mm-hmm. and starting off 
that whole process of lifestyle change, change somewhere else. Okay. Well, I'll definitely try. Doc. Good luck, Charles. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, when we come back, we'll be taking a look at narcissistic leaders and the destructive lies they tell themselves and others. Uh, we've got that next here on Light. And with me this morning is Dr. Philip George, um, consultant psychiatrist at IMU. And uh, there are uh, various articles online about how to spot a narcissist and how to spot a narcissistic leaders and the destructive lies they tell themselves and uh, others. Um, let's get back first to the word narcissist. I mean, can you define what that is and, and what is narcissistic personality disorder? Well, so personality disorders are divided largely into three clusters. There's the cluster A, cluster B, and cluster C. And narcissism or narcissistic personality comes in cluster B. And they're more about themselves, uh, very dramatic, uh, hysterical. Uh, those are the typical features for all the different types of cluster B personality disorders. Of course, people may have personality traits, and then people may have disorders. And when it's a disorder, then... It interferes with the day-to-day -day function and, and you know, relationships. So what? how do you recognize a narcissist? Well, maybe by their tweets. Uh, well, <laughs> or maybe you shouldn't go there. Yeah, no, well, exactly. Usually narcissists can be very charming, very charismatic. But over time, most people feel with them ignored, mm -hmm. uncared for, and they just feel like they're unimportant among them. And that's how the narcissist makes you feel. So that's transference what you feel from your relationship with someone will be able to identify you know what sort of person that person is i mean what sort of personality right. type that person is their criticisms increase and they also have high demands you know leading to people feeling low confidence and poor self-esteem especially if you're working with a boss who's a narcissist mm -hmm. And they usually have very little empathy. So, you know, you could be having a very bad day, things are really terrible, maybe, you know, you're not well and all that, and they don't care. They need to have their work done. You know, the amount of stuff that they give you to do is just the same as before. So, yeah, the typical symptoms are grandiose sense of self. They think of themselves a lot more than what they really are. They believe in unlimited power and success, and that's why they like to be in that position of, you know, being the boss. Right. So they move towards there, get there as hard as they can, and then start to show most of their personality traits. They need a lot of admiration. They yearn a lot of admiration. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they'll thrive when people say, wow, you're really good. You know, the, you'll be and the... If, and if they don't say that, then they'll ask you a lot of leading questions. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, say that. Yeah. And, and of course, they, they're also, you know, they expect a lot of compliance uh, from others and they can be very critical when mm. you don't uh, comply with them as well. Okay. Well, when we come back, uh, we'll find out from Dr. Philip how we can deal with the narcissist if we are indeed living with one and uh, how narcissists can affect the people around them and whether or not we should learn to uh, live with it or if we can actually change a narcissist. That's up next here on Light. We're talking about narcissists, uh, this uh, Mind Matters uh, Wednesday, this morning with Dr. Philip. Okay, so how do you deal with a narcissist, whether this person is in your office or, hey, maybe you're married to one. You mm -hmm. never know until it's too late. Yeah. Or do you? Do you, <laughs> do you notice these things in the beginning of a relationship? Well, you may, uh, not often in the beginning, is usually, you know, once the relationship has gotten flourished and going on for a few years, that you might notice these traits. Now, the thing is, you need to identify 
you know, that this is actually part of their personality. You know, they're not intentionally doing this to try and hurt you. That's how their mind is wired. And you know, that, that's how they cope with things as well. Mm. So how do we deal with them then? So I, I think first and foremost is, you know, understanding that it's going to be impossible to change them. That's part of their personality. It's like asking you, can you change your personality like overnight? And there's no way. I mean, it, therapy may help if it comes to that stage where it's a personality disorder rather than a trait. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's about changing yourself, how you react and respond. So I think very often people who are narcissists, you know, entice others to react and react then means, you know, conflict and, you know, all the other complications with relationships. And, you know, in the office, it can be a huge, you know, embarrassment or, you know, a big outcome in terms of where you're going with your KPIs and everything else. Right. So understand that narcissists thrive on attention. Mm-hmm. And when you react, it may actually trigger off a flurry of, in some cases, <laughs> tweets. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I think it's important to understand how to respond, mm-hmm. you know, so that doesn't, you know, sort of feed their narcissistic traits. Then the second thing is set boundaries. <clears throat> we need to have boundaries. It doesn't matter what sort of personality the person has, but they eventually come to terms with your own boundaries. Right. Sorry, boss, I can't, you know, stay back mm-hmm. every day till eight o'clock. I have to go home. I have right. to ma- make a lifestyle balance and all that sort of uh-huh. stuff. Yeah. And, and then don't let them, don't let them consume you. Because eventually, you know, if you're going to take in everything and feel so negative, it's going to affect you emotionally. So, yeah, they will come up with all sorts of criticisms. They'll put you down and everything else. Mm -hmm. But the next day, they'll be completely different. Yeah. It's like it didn't happen. Yeah. So why should you be emotionally, you know, sort of affected by that? And because the person with the narcissistic trait is not going to be emotionally affected. That's part of them. Can you point this trait out to them? Will they understand and recognize it for the problem that it is? You know, it's it's very hard for a personality disorder trait because it's ego-syntonic. It's part of them. They've always lived that way. So for someone to tell them, look, you have a flawed personality... (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) First and foremost, they have very poor insight. But very often when it does interfere with uh, relationships, with the occupation, then sometimes, you know, getting them into therapy is helpful. And the first step that we do is actually get them to be aware that they have positive parts in their traits. In, in their personality, but they also have negative aspects and they need to deal with those negative aspects. Okay. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Philip, for the insight <laughs> on narcissists. <laughs> Not a problem. Thanks, Jess. Okay.